Gospel according to Numbers, and we're going to be in chapter 18. So good to be here with you. Glad for those who have joined us by Zoom, and we look forward to those who will join us by Sermon Audio. Remember one another in prayer. We pray that you would also remember our summer camp, that you would uh, mark that on your calendar. The book of Numbers, chapter 18. Verse 1, And the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. Thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. In other words, he is relating to them that you are responsible for any offenses that take place around the sanctuary or in the priesthood. You have a responsibility placed upon you. And thy brethren, verse 2, also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee that they may be joined unto thee and minister unto thee, but thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness. And they shall keep thy charge, and the charge of all the tabernacle, only they shall not come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary, and the altar that neither they nor ye also die. Did you notice that last part? Only they shall not come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar that neither they nor ye also die. I want to read down through verse 7. And they shall be joined unto thee and keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle. And, all, and a stranger shall not come nigh unto you. And ye shall keep the charge of the sanctuary and the charge of the altar, that there be no wrath any more upon the children of Israel. And I behold, I even, I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel to you. They are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for Everything of the altar and within the veil ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift. The stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. This passage of scripture shares with us that there is no flexibility with the law of God. We find in this passage of Scripture, as we will in the book of Deuteronomy four times, Matthew, Mark, and Luke bring this up, that there is such a stringent requirement placed upon humanity with regard to the law. There is no flexibility in it. The law is so harsh and so hard, and yet we find that there is one that took upon all of the law and all of those things against us and put them on himself. 
Now, read with me, if you would, over in the book of Mark chapter 12 for just a moment. Mark chapter 12. This first commandment that the Lord shares with us, God demands absolute righteousness. And there is no such thing of being almost righteous. Did you notice over there in verse 3 that if they make an infraction here, they are to die. And if a stranger comes near, they are to die. There is no room here for making a mistake. We live by that. But when it comes to the law of God, there is no room for a mistake. Here in the book of Mark chapter 12, we find the Lord speaking about this to somebody that brought this up. Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 29. Mark chapter 12 and verse 29, Jesus answered him. Someone's brought a question up. Please take the time to read that. But this is of the first of all commandments. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And one more time, that's a quote from the Old Testament. Verse 30, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now this is the sum and substance of the Old Testament law. And if you'll notice here with me that there is no room for variation. You are going to do all or it's not going to work. You must love the Lord thy God with everything. Now when I was in religion, I used to look those words up because I found myself not being able to keep them. And this is 24-7, 365. There's no time left out not to be able to do this. We don't have any time off from this. If, if this is what we're going to, the standard we're going to live by, there's no time off. There's no room for any variance from right hand or to left hand. There's nothing here. Just as we find there in the book of Numbers chapter 18 and verse 3 and then verse 7, that if there's an infraction, you're going to die. Well, we find that the Lord brings this up constantly throughout the scriptures because the, we were unable to keep the law because the carnal mind, the fallen mind, the mind that we inherited because of Adam and Adam's fall and because of our own sin, that mind is an enmity against God and is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. We have a problem. Here's the standard. Complete and absolute and total righteousness is required, and we have a pro problem because we're broken. We cannot meet that standard. We cannot approach that standard. We don't have the ability of reaching that standard. And uh, if we don't keep that standard, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Now, that's the same standard that he brought up to Moses uh, to share with with Aaron and those Levites, if you don't keep this standard, the penalty is this. And it's a serious penalty. It is death. Now, the death that comes as a result of sinning against God, if it is not taken care of, the penalty of that death is not only physical, but spiritual death for eternity. It is a serious place that we're put in by the relationship that we have with our father Adam. We are unable to keep it, and yet the standard is, the, is there. This is the standard, 100% righteousness. 100%, this must be kept 
or you don't have any life in you. Well, the justice of God demands full payment. And we find ourselves unable to pay. How can I keep all of that, which the Lord just brought up in two verses? Bad enough to love my neighbors myself. Now, I like good neighbors, and I respect my good neighbors. But you know, it's a, it's a trial at times to love them as ourselves. But to go ahead and love the Lord with all of those four capacities, body, mind, soul, and spirit, all our strengths. And if we don't keep that standard, we have this penalty hanging over us. The need for divine pardon is absolute. The question is how God is going to be able to remain just. We can't just keep part of the law. That's not just. God has said the the most minor infraction is going to require this. That to break the law in one point is to be guilty of all the law. And the justice must be served. The divine pardon is necessary, but how can God grant a pardon without taking care of the sin? Well, turn with me, if you would, in the book of Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we read these words about this subject. Romans chapter 3 and verse 26. What a blessed verse of scripture we have here because God declares through his minister of the gospel, through the apostle Paul, Paul is the secretary, Paul is writing what he's been instructed to write because this is an important message from God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just. Now, God must remain just. He cannot put away sin because he loves us. It's, that's not a good enough. It doesn't take care of his justness or justice. The soul that sinneth, it must die. You come up against the altar. He told the children of Levi. That place was there and it was required to be approached by Aaron and his sons. The the altar, those Levites were not to enter into the holy place. They were not to enter into the holy of holies. They had other service to perform. But if they got inquisitive, if they got curious, if they came up and approached the altar of burnt offering or the altar of incense, instantly God was going to demand their death. If they came and looked upon the articles that were in the Holy of Holies or the holy place, if they peeked at them, if they stared at them, if they came upon them and did not have them covered, God was going to demand instant death. And if a stranger approached them, they were to die instantly. God was going to require that. Well, we find that when Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, ordained but in the Aaronic priesthood, came and offered incense with strange fire, an instant death was prescribed and God gave it to them. 
That is how serious this is. We cannot approach the altar. We cannot approach the articles in the holy place or the holy of holies. It is not our place to come into that place. We have a high priest that has been appointed to do that for us. Well, here in the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 26, it says that he might be just. And he is just. He was just when he took Nadab and Abihu. They broke the law. And he would be just if he took everyone that had ever sinned and sent them to a devil's hell. He would be just. But notice what we find in the rest of this verse of Scripture. It says, And justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Now God has in his marvelous wisdom, in his glorious wisdom, in his ability to deal with a serious problem, has been able to take care and keep himself just, but also justifier. And how does he do that? There is someone that stepped in the gap. There's someone that stepped in our place. There's someone that represents us well. And God is able by his mercy and grace to deliver his people from their sins and to pardon them because he placed on this one the great high priest, the true prophet, the great king of glory, he placed on him the sins of his people. He was placed on him our sins. And then God bore out his justice and he died. Now, there can be absolute and complete and free pardon of sin without us ever being involved. As one preacher said, the only thing that we bring to salvation is our sin. And that sin must be paid for or we will face justice. What a glorious thing. Christ frees his people not by changing the rules. I was asked to do that many times when I was teaching. Just change the rules for me. I don't know how many kids would say at, towards the end, is there, any, is there any makeup work that I can do? I said, how can you expect to do makeup work when you won't do the real work? How can I expect you to be righteous if you will not bow your knee to Christ? How? We notice back there in the reading of Numbers chapter 18 and verse 3 that even the Levites and the priests, if they disobeyed, they would surely die. And we have exercise of that found in the Scriptures. And the stranger shall not come nigh. Aaron, your sons and your relatives have some responsibility here, as we found in verse 1. And all the Levites were to help, but they had some responsibilities they were not to take part in. They shall oversee, but they shall not take part of, and they shall not come. Notice, with, go back with me to the book of Numbers chapter 18 and there in verse 3. And we find in that passage of Scripture there's some things that these Levites were not to participate in. Numbers chapter 18 and verse 3, it says there, And this shall be the priest's due from the people. Um, excuse me, I'm in Deuteronomy. I'll get to Numbers. <laughs> so far I have the sense to know sometimes when I'm in the wrong place 
All right, Numbers chapter 18. They shall keep thy charge in the charge of the tabernacle, only they shall not come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar. They shall not come near them. They shall not come to the al- near the altar. What went on there? This is where the priest took the sacrifice, placed it on the altar, and fire from heaven fell and consumed the sacrifice. This has to do with everything from God's point of view. This is required for us to be able to say he's just and justifier. Here's the only means by which he can forgive us our sins. There is going to be the reality, the fulfillment of these animal sacrifices in the Lamb of God. We are restricted from approaching some things that God has ordained. We cannot approach this altar. We cannot interfere with this altar. We cannot prescribe differences for this altar. And the same goes true with the articles that were in the Holy of Holies, the mercy seat. We cannot go in there and splatter blood. That's required by the priest to do. We cannot go in there and offer incense. That's for the priest to do. We cannot go in there and take the showbread. That's for the priest to do. We have certain things given and delegated to certain people, and the rest of us cannot go there and approach that. What is that telling us about today? How can we apply that to this to us today? There are some things we are not to do even in our worship. And there are some things to do that we're not to do. Some places we can't go, even in our worship. You know, one man put it this way. We cannot do the right thing in the wrong way. And another man said, you can't, Uncle Mose said, you cannot fire the devil or God's cannon with the devil's gunpowder. Well, as I was searching, I said, what does that mean for us? Not being able to approach that altar, I thought that was our re- right and privilege. It is our right and privilege to approach Christ through his own blood, but we have no participation in what he was about to do. We cannot go in there. We can't even slay that sacrifice. That must be done by another. We must stay out of the placing of that sacrifice, that's given to another. We must stay away from the lighting of that sacrifice, that's given to another. We must stay out of the Holy of Holies, that's given to another. What is our part? Wait, I say, on the Lord. In the book of Numbers, Chapter 3. Would you turn there with me? Numbers chapter 3. Now this is mentioned in the book of Exodus, but since we're in the book of Numbers, back up with me just a bit. We mentioned this, but we want to bring it out because here is a very powerful couple. Two. They're priests. They have all of the finery, the robes, the, the miter. They're not high priests, but they are priests, and they are required to do certain things. Now, what got into these two boys, I cannot understand, except they're just natural men, and they had never, ever saw the grace of God. They're just playing. They're just playing religion. They're just playing church. 
They're just playing about what they're doing because they do not take what God requires seriously. God required absolute perfection, and they didn't take him serious. They did not care. They could trace their line right back to Esau. They could trace their line right back to Cain. Cain didn't care what God had to say. Cain didn't care the requirements that were imposed. Cain could care less. And so it is with Nadab and Abihu here in Numbers chapter 3 and verse 4. And Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And they had no children, and Eleazar and Ithamar ministered in the priest's office in the sight of Aaron, their father. They offered strange fire. You know, I am so thankful for the mercy and grace of God because in religion, I did exactly what Nadab and Abihu did. I preached a God that was not able to save people unless... They consented to it. And you know, God had every right to send down fire and consume me. You know the only difference there was? God had written my name in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. And he had already prepared to forgive me and had forgiven me in Christ Jesus the Lord And he was just in the process of getting me to the right time when I could hear something that actually was the gospel and save me by his grace. And then I was so ashamed of what I had to say about God in my religion. Well, Nadab and Abihu are illustrating a point that God never knew them. And when they offered strange fire, he had every right in the world to consume them. And they will stand on the left-hand side. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 19. 1 Samuel chapter 6. You know, people have strange things about religion. In 1 Samuel chapter... I did. Did you? Yeah, we had strange things in religion. It all boils down to one thing. We were working our way to heaven. And in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 6, we have another strange event happen, and this is in Israel. You think if anybody knew anything, it would be Israel. God treated them better than he did any other nation. He did not send a priest to the Hivites. He didn't send a priest to the Egyptians. He didn't send a priest. He had Egypt, excuse me, Israel set aside in Abraham. I asked that young man last Wednesday, do you believe that God chose Israel out of all the nations of the world? Oh, yeah. Well, why can't he choose people then? Oh, that's not fair. God chose Israel to demonstrate to them, even if he did everything possible, gave them food and water, crossed the Red Sea, escaped them out of Egypt with ten miracles, brought them across, brought them in. He did not change their heart. They had no more love for him than they had for anybody else. And they demonstrated that. And here in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 6 and verse 19, We have these words recorded. And they smote the men of Bethshemesh. He smote the men of Bethshemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. 
Even he smote the people fifty thousand and three score men and ten. Fifty thousand seventy. Now in reading commentaries, they make all kinds of you know, you know, it's kind of like talking to somebody that believes they know when the Lord's coming back. We got this date with this angle of the sun multiplied by this, the number of people. It doesn't make any sense. Can't figure it out. Well, there is no figuring out the coming of Christ. This is what God said in His Word. There was 50,070 people died as a result of looking. That is a... Wouldn't you want to look in there? Curiosity. You know, they're just demonstrating that they have no regard for Almighty God. And 50,070 people died because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. Now, turn with me just a little further, if you would, in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. You would think, if you're helping move the ark of God, and a cow stumbles, and that cart starts rocking around, you would think you'd be rewarded. Well, let's just go over here and read this. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And there in verse 6 and 7, we have a man by the name of U-Z-Z-A-H. Yuza? They And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uza put forth his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And that's another word for stumbled. And it starts to rock around. You would think he would be rewarded for taking care of this business. Oh, surely all of this that's going on has been going on. God won't shake his hand to, because they're sincere about it. They're doing the best they know. And yet we find that Uzzah put forth his hand to steady the ark. And what's the next verse? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God smote him there for his heir, and there he died by the ark of God. The law must be obeyed. Now, I'm not a legalist. I'm not a law keeper. Because I know my inability, but I know there is one that kept it. The righteous one. He kept it completely and totally. He kept it from eternity. He was pleased to honor his father. He kept the law. I had a person that several people have shared with me that the Lord, when he came down to this earth, he could have sinned. He could have sinned, but he just chose not to. No, 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 no. He's God. He couldn't sin. He came down to take care of sin. You know, as we look into the scriptures, we it has been so interpreted upon the in every age without any disregard for God, the God of heaven. It's just been brought on. He has spoken, yet the commandment continues to be unheard. And only after God truly saves someone from their sin do they realize what they were doing with the word of God. We heard read this morning over there in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 3, verse 8. 
the last verse of that psalm, Psalm 3 and verse 8, it says, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Now, I'm bringing this around to where we're not permitted to come up to the altar. We're not permitted to interfere with the altar. We're not permitted to put things on the altar. We're not permitted to light the fire of the altar. We're not permitted to do that. We are to stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. We're not permitted to go into the holy place. We're not permitted to go into the holy of holies. Guess what? Someone has done that for us. Someone has done that for us. Christ has already entered. He is the high priest. He's already entered. And he gives us all the glory of the table of the showbread. He gives us all the glory of that uh, altar of incense. He gives us all the glory of the mercy seat. He gives us all the glory of protecting us from all our rebellion. All that blood that he shed was for us and put on the altar, put on the mercy seat. And so he has given us the benefits, but we have not the participation in it. He said, you cannot come and hang yourself on the cross. Those two men on one side or the other side of me hanging on the cross were not dying for their sins. I am the altar. I died for one of their sins. I didn't die for both of them. I died for one of them. He didn't try to approach the altar. He knew Lord, I'm a sinner. That's all I am. Remember me. Faith had been given to him that he was going to his kingdom. And so, when we come to this thing about approaching the altar, about approaching those things, and death is upon us if we do, we find out, as the Lord saves his people, who did the Lord charge for your salvation? Now, I find the psalmist David wrote there in the psalm, Psalm 8, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. You know what Jonah said from that great fish's belly? That was a life changer for me. After the Lord saved me, and one day driving down the freeway here in the Dalles, it struck me, hallelujah, salvation is of the Lord. I knew it. Now I really knew it. And it was not my responsibility to go up to the altar and try to get somebody else to believe. I couldn't do it. It's an impossibility. Who is in charge of your salvation? Well, the scripture says God is. If you're really saved, God is in charge of your salvation. He didn't leave it up to someone else and he didn't leave it up to me. He didn't leave it up to you. What were you? You know, everybody that approached that altar and God smote, what were they? Sinners. What about the ones that stood back and obeyed and didn't get burned up? What are they? Sinners. <laughs> That's all we are. Sinners by nature, sinners by practice, and sinners by choice. Thanks be unto God, he restrains us from doing that when he has in his purpose to save his people from their sins. We are not permitted to commit a sin that will kill us before we're taken out of this world, or before we're saved. God prevents that. Well, here we find that the Lord himself said, I come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what he said. He came to save sinners. 
He came to die for sinners. The whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He came to die for sinners. So what were we? What are we? What will we be for the rest of our life? Sinners. I like what that one preacher wrote after his name, though, because he was made fun of. He didn't have any college education. He didn't have his MA. He didn't have his DD. So he started putting SS. Someone said, what's that mean? He says, save sinner. Save sinner. The rest of that's nonsense anyway. The publican said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what the Lord said about that man? He went down to his house justified. God had taken care of That's the only way he could confess that. The other man, we don't know if he ever made that confession, but he didn't go down to his house justified that day at least. Salvation, you know what this is? Who do we see when God saves us? Who do we see when God saves us? Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. I don't know how many times I've said this. When when God saved me, the Bible became a new book. God became a new God. Sin became oh so much. All the sight that God gives us. Now, look here in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, would you? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. In other words, we're not approaching the altar. We're not approaching the holy place. We're not approaching the holy of holy place, trying to see what's going on there. Here he says, we preach Christ, we, pre- we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Notice verse 6 now. But God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, just like he did when he created light in the beginning. What power it took for him to create the light in the beginning without the sun or the moon or the stars, has shined in our hearts to give the light, now notice this with me, notice this with me, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Oh, you know, that's a radical change over our natural state. The the reality that we face in our natural state is we cannot see God in his glory. We cannot, we, we, maybe we're Calvinists and we consent to his sovereignty, but we don't know the first thing about it. When God saves us and we see the glory of God, we see that he is in absolute charge of our salvation, that he died for us because of his grace and not for anything that we did, we find it's the glory of God I get to see. And then it goes on to tell us the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What do you think of Christ? What do you think of Jesus? Whose son is he? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, with emphasis, not just saying a few trite words. And I might say as we come to a close of this, 
about approaching that altar and all those things that they were told not to do, and if they did, they were to die. Who is your king? We hear much about it. Church I was raised in, you can have Jesus as your Savior, and then sometime later, down the road, you might accept Him as your Lord. Hogwash. Amen. He is called Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody has ever been saved just because they got saved and then later they said, well, I'll, I'll take him as my king now. No, 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 that's not. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. This is, this is what God does for us. And in so doing, he declares himself as our king. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. We can't approach the altar. It's not our business. So what does God do for us? Well, here's the part we want to look at. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness... That's what God does. He delivers us from the power of darkness, the power of sin, the power of death, the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now, when God does that and translates us into the kingdom of his dear Son, there's automatically a king. The Lord does not have a kingdom and not be in charge of it, He is king. King of kings and Lord of lords. He never saves anybody and leaves them out of this glorious part. Translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And then if you look with me in, in the book of John chapter 13. John chapter 13 and verse 13. We read these words. You call me master. John chapter 13 and verse 13. You call me master and Lord and Ye say, well, for so I am. <laughs> you say, you're telling me the truth. You're sharing the truth. You're putting it right back on me. So I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, he's not talking about foot washing, because if that had been one of the things that he wanted us to do, he'd have gone on and instructed us more about it, just like he did baptism and the Lord's Supper. But he's saying, be ye kind one to another. Bear ye each other's burdens. But you call me master, you do well. And so, as we find here, as we're not prevented, we are prevented of taking care of our own salvation, we find out that the Lord is in charge of our salvation. Salvations of the Lord. We find out what we were. Sinners through and through. God be merciful to me, the sinner. We find out we get to see differently the Lord of glory. He is who He is. What He's all had all written about Him all through the Scriptures. He's in charge. He's master, creator, 
Savior, King, Holy One. And he is King. Now let me ask you this. If one of your children wandered out in a busy street and death was certain, would you stand by and beg them to come out of the traffic? Or would you instantly go out and retrieve that child, not caring whether they would wanted it to stay or not? I've been approached a number of times that we can resist God to the very end, and I keep asking, why would I want to? Why would I want to? When God brings me out from the brink and saves me by his grace, why would I have ever wanted to resist him till I died? What a foolish statement. I'm thankful for God's great grace where he pulled me out of a horrible pit and set me on a solid rock, Christ, and established my goings and put a new song in my heart. I appreciate that so much. God's doing his business. And he says, I will do my business. You stay out of my business. And then as we heard this morning, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. End of story. Brother Mike, if you'll come.